You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hi, everybody. You are listening to episode number 274 of the Blended Family Podcast. And today's guest is going to be Debbie Osborne. She wrote a book called Raising Other People's Children. She was a foster mom, an adoptive mom, and a stepmom in a blended family. And so she really knows and understands what we're all going through, you know, when we're trying to form those family bonds. And she's got just loads of tips and knowledge for you today. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Last week, did a solo show on feelings. Are you feeling your feelings or are you stuffing them way down? So uh, if that seems interesting to you, you can go check that out. That was last week's episode number 273. And then next week, as promised for the men, I've got Joe Pomeroy on and he helps businessmen translate those skills into the home life and into the family, he teaches men how to do that and how to become the, mes- the best men that they can be. He's a coach. Uh, and since I had skipped the Father's Day episode, I thought this would be a great time to bring him on. And so that'll be next week. And I really don't, I don't have a lot of announcements today, but I did just want to take a minute to talk about what is going on in the world, because as we all look around, I think we can agree that things are getting crazier and crazier. And of course, depending on where you live, right? I live in Florida and I've said this a million times that I feel like I'm I'm probably in a lot better position than many of you are, but that doesn't mean that I'm not aware of what's going on and you should all be too. But the problem is that We're not being shown everything that's going on, and that's why a lot of us are not aware of what's going on. If you're watching the regular news, you're not going to see all of these things that are happening. Um, Many of you may know about Cuba, and I just want to say we stand with our brothers and sisters in Cuba. I don't know if you guys know what is going on over there. You know, here in Florida, they're, they're doing a lot of protests for the people in Cuba, but they're under a communist regime right now, and they are they're not getting food you guys have to wait in line for food they're getting something like five eggs a person per month like a bag or two bags of rice in a month hardly any meat Um, and it's not just about the food they're they're in major crisis right now and I just want you to picture that for a minute you know There are blended families there too, and not that it should matter whether you're blended or not, but there are big families there that cannot feed their kids. This stuff is really going on right now, and it's very, very scary. Uh, Also, Australia. I know I have a big following in Australia. I've mentioned before that I knew Australia was going through a lot, you know, this year with COVID and everything. Well, right now, that continues from what I understand is that they are massively locking down people in camps um, again I I only know bits and pieces of this and so I encourage you all to do your research and um, just send your your thoughts your prayers your well wishes for those people there's people in China they just had a flood you know here in Florida there was a hotel that just collapsed you guys have been hearing about all of this there's 
There's shootings every day here. People are dying more than usual. And so, you know, it's very frustrating because we look around and as all this is going on, I think that we see a lot of racism being pushed out in the mainstream media and we see a lot of division. Division because there are two separate sides of everything being pushed and when people don't agree, they just want to fight. And with all of this tragedy, trauma, chaos going on in the world, I think that it's time that we stop being that way towards one another, stop being judgmental, right? Stop being divided, stop falling into that narrative that they're trying to play. It's time for us to be united, not as a nation, as a world, as parents in this world, that we want to leave a world to our children that is not like this, that is not full of violence and hate and racism and everything else that we are experiencing right now. So that's really all I wanted to say about that. I just want to say for for anyone, no matter where you are in the world right now, if you are suffering in whatever way, because we're all going through our own struggles, I just want to say I love you. I stand with you. I know that we're in for a rough road. I, I don't know what awaits all of us. But I know that it might be a struggle, but I'm here. So if anyone ever needs to reach out to me, I know there's not much I can do, but I'm here. I'm an ear. I love you. I love you. And I want us to all love one another and and stop the hate. So that's all I have to say for today. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Debbie. I so much enjoyed speaking with her. You guys have a wonderful week and I will be back next week with another show. Enjoy. Living the Good Life Naturally is a self-care company focusing on magnesium. Statistics show that up to 50% of the U.S. population is magnesium deficient, which can cause a multitude of health issues including headaches, muscle cramps, seizures, hair loss, and more. Kristen Bowen, founder, created the company out of her own personal health struggles, so she really cares, and she has a mission to help others achieve optimal health. I myself am a huge believer in these products, and I use them on a daily basis. It's been especially helpful for my anxiety and my pain. Try the magnesium soak, the magnesium spray, or the delectable bath bombs for an extra treat. And check out the website to see the entire product line and learn more at livingthegoodlifenaturally.com. Or you can go back and listen to episode number 237 when Kristen was on this show. Don't forget to use my promo code BLENDED to receive a special discount. Order today and get your health back. Debbie Osborne is the author of the book, Raising Other People's Children, and has spent more than 40 years working with children who've experienced trauma. Her many roles include social worker, group and home parent, foster parent, and step-parent. Along with parenting seven foster, adopted, and stepchildren, Debbie has served as a criminal prosecutor, volunteer, and board member with nonprofit organizations. And she's now an attorney in private practice, counseling and defending youth-serving organizations. And she says, I make my living as a lawyer, but what I do is take care of other people's children. Welcome to the show, Debbie. Thank you very much. 
You know, I'm going to I'm going to let you properly introduce yourself in a moment, but I find it fascinating that you don't have any bio children, yet you probably have more experience than many bio parents because you've raised kids, just not kids that were biologically yours. And I know that it takes a very special person to do that. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation because I know you're going to be full of tips and ideas for those parents in my blended family homes who really want to bond and bring the family closer together. And I respect you a lot, Debbie, because I know myself as a parent of four teenagers that it's really hard work parenting. So please, Debbie, tell my listeners just a little bit more about you and how you came to choose this difficult path that you did. Okay. Well, I I, I really just sort of stumbled into it. I uh, married late in life because I I just never found anyone uh, that I was in love with at the same time they were in love with me hmm. is probably the simplest way to explain <laughs> it. And so I um, I had grown up working with my parents who had done a lot with, with young people in camps and church ministries. And when I graduated from college with a degree in education, I realized that my one-on-one skills were much better than my one-on-30 skills. Mm. So I I decided to go into um, social work rather than education. And back back then you, you could could switch like that. And I got a job as a probation officer slash social worker with the juvenile court in one of the Metro Atlanta counties. And just, um, burned out, I guess, is probably the the simplest explanation, and um, retreated to law school. I I got, I just got tired of dipping out the ocean with a teaspoon. Mm. And so uh, I went to law school, but but I kept my passion for working with kids. It's not something you can um, just walk away from. So I, I worked as a weekend house parent at a, at a group home there in, in the city where I was going to law school, for example. And when I graduated from law school and, and stayed involved doing volunteer work, I, um, through a, a series of, a long story, series of, of events, I found myself um, agreeing to work as an emergency foster parent um, in Virginia, which was the, the, the state that I was working at the time. And just, um, I was just um, a, a way station, a safe place for kids when the caseworker needed somewhere right now for the kids while they worked out long-term placements. So I, I did that while I was in Virginia, and then my job uh, ended up uh, in North Carolina. And I, I had found the volunteer foster parenting um, fulfilling, and so I, I started looking around and found an agency there in North Carolina that um, I signed up as a respite parent at first, and that was just... Um, Similar to emergency foster parenting, except that with the respite care, when the, um, the the permanent placement family needed to go out of town or just needed a break or um, needed some relief, then I became a steady, stable place for the child to go to uh, on the weekends or ever how long they were needed. And then um, gradually from there, um, moved into um, long-term care. And that agency 
it, it was um, a wonderful mix for me because I was working as a criminal prosecutor at the time, which was fairly demanding and required me to travel during trial terms every couple of months. And because they had the respite situation, I was able to do the long-term care and um, so that, that the my daughters who were, who were with me, um, they lived with me at different times, but the, the two long-term placements I had, um, there was somewhere for them to go that was a, a more steady, stable place while I was out of town. Mm. Well, it, so, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say then after that, I moved back home to Georgia. Um, I, my, I switched jobs. My my uh, brother and sister were raising children without my advice. Mm. My um, There was just a lot of reasons to come back home. And that's when I fell in love and, and married a man with uh, five kids and so it, I, it, uh, it, there were only two kids at home at the time. The others were adults, but as, as you know, you still parent a lot of, um, adult kids, uh, too. Oh yes, absolutely. And so, yeah, you've really got quite the variety there in your family. And, you know, I can imagine that being blended and fostering are quite similar because you're still getting to know that new child and trying to form bonds and things like this. So, but I'd love to know from your experience, because you've done so much, in what ways would you say that fostering children is similar to being a step parent in a blended home? Well, they're very similar in that both kids have, have lost their intact biological family and they've lost it for reasons that they can't control adults in their lives are making decisions that affect them very deeply and there's nothing the kids can do about it and they have all of these adults saying this is best for you but the kids don't necessarily feel that it's the best and so there is that emotional tie to biological family that is it's just it's bone deep with kids and in both situations, um, even though I, I was the parent and even though particularly in the foster care, I felt like I was a much better parent than their biological parents, that didn't matter to the kids. Um, from their perspective, I was the person who was not supposed to be there. Mm. And um, that was one of the things that I I learned from fostering. I'm, I'm not supposed to be there. I never will be the one who's supposed to be there. But that's okay. I can still form a, a good relationship with them, uh, not as a substitute parent, because there's not really any way that anyone can substitute, particularly if, if they still have biological parents who that they have some relationship with. But um, I can be an additional parent and still have a, a strong relationship with them. So the, that's one of the, the biggest similarities. And, and then, of course, the other similarity is that even though I am responsible for the kids in, in both situations, my husband had custody of his kids. So, so I came in with, with some responsibility mm -hmm. to help take care of them. Um, that didn't automatically translate into the kids listening to me. Yeah. I, I still had to earn their trust in in many ways before um, they they would pay any attention to what I had to say. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing though. And you know, I I really want this episode to be super useful for my audience. So I'm going to pick your brain on some things. What I think is really great about you and your experience, Debbie, is that you've been through multiple times, what some of us only go through once, meaning when you form a new blended family, you all have to get used to one another. But in your right. case, you went through that process many times. So I know you're going to be so full of tips for us today. You must have had lots of different experiences when meeting all of these kids and learning about one another and building trust, like you just mentioned. And a lot of blended families in the beginning don't always know the best way to go about that. So I'd love to hear your tips on building those relationships in the beginning and building that trust. Well, the first thing I would say is you, you, you just don't push it. Um, you don't try to come in and, and be the kid's best friend. You don't try to be anything in particular. Um, you just you just are who you are. And um, that that probably is the hardest thing because we are we're wired to want approval from people, particularly mm-hmm. our family members. And when we're starting a new family, we just have to, um, to step back and, and have to be secure in our, in our sense of, of who we are and, and be loving and, and caring. But there's a difference between being loving and caring and giving and seeking approval. Mm. And we have to, to be very careful about not, not trying too hard and not pushing the relationship. Some kids are, are at different stages, you know, younger kids, tend to accept step parents more readily teenagers they're they're just a creature from a different planet <laughs> to begin with <laughs> so that they're going to be more reserved now you know my my um, stepsons were were just they, they are wonderful people and they were very polite and were never antagonistic but the teenager the older and the and the, the adults they were just um, reserved. They, they weren't going to invest a lot in the relationship until they could be sure that I was going to be different than my husband's other girlfriends who are no longer there. Um, you know, it's, it, it just, it makes sense that they're going to want some assurances that, that I was going to be there for a while. And of course, the only way to give that assurance is to be there for a while. Mm-hmm. So there's not anything you can say. You just have to um, show it. You have to prove it. Yeah. You have to prove it. Um, so that, that the first thing I would say is just don't push it. And the second one is understand you have to prove it. There's, there's nothing you can say. Um, and, and then the next thing I would say is you just, you have to be committed and, and understand that with kids, this is a one way commitment. Um, I hear a lot of my friends who are step parents who say these kids just don't appreciate me. Well, no, they don't. You, that's the way kids are. Um, you, you might as well ask them to fly as to <laughs> understand any gratitude. Yep. Um, they're just not developmentally capable of of understanding it. And then, secondly, you know, on some level, they're not supposed to know about the sacrifices we make for them. That. Um, kids are supposed to grow up kind of oblivious to all of the work and toil that goes into to making their world. Um, if if they if they worry too much about things like whether or not the electricity is going to stay on or any of those kind of things, then then we call that 
neglect and it carries its own level of trauma. So um, just understand that this commitment has to be one way in, in the sense that you just have to wait for your kids to grow up in order to appreciate you. And, um, and, and some level of self-sacrifice is required for parenting. And, I find a lot of my friends who are step parents are sort of standing there waiting for the kids to make the first move and 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 you can't do that. You just have to decide what the kids need and make sure they get it and and then move on. Um so that shows up in in areas like my my you know, my boys are they're, they're boys, so they're they're hit or miss about birthdays and Mother's Day and all of those things on the best of days. <laughs> they, they may or may not remember things. Um, but we just have to let go of that. You know, we, we can't have any of those expectations and we can't get our feelings hurt. And we just have to be willing to take what we can get as a bonus and, um, and, and move on and do our job anyway, um, which is, I, I know, sort of a tough love towards ourselves perspective. Um, but, but we can't let our feelings of, of hurt or expecting too much from our kids get in the way of the, this, the, the one way commitment that we, that we have to make, um, for the family. Um, that being said, I think it's also important to understand that our, our commitments are not unlimited. Now, uh, we have to have unlimited love and and unconditional love and acceptance for our kids, but that's not the same as an unlimited commitment. Mm -hmm. Um, And and if you think about it, we as, uh, as adults, all, all healthy relationships and and all healthy commitments have boundaries. Um, In my book, I, I use the analogy that, you know, my husband and I made vows to, till death do us part was in our marriage vows. But, but we both know that if, if one of us starts running guns for the mafia, <laughs> that our marriage is over, you know, they're just, they're, there are boundaries, um, abuse or any of those kind of things that there are boundaries that limit our commitments. So we have to do the same thing with our kids, but we have to be very clear. And, and that was one of the things that I had to learn as a, as a foster parent, because, you know, I had these kids who would, they had been bounced around so much and I knew how devastating that was because I had been a social worker and I really wanted them to feel like that this was their, their permanent place as long as they wanted it to be. But at the same time, I had to say, I I don't tolerate drugs in the house. Mm. So if, if you were, you know, making that decision, then you're making the decision to live somewhere else. So, and to just be very clear with them about this will get you in trouble with me. And that is what will get you kicked out. And, and to, to make those very clear, you know, step parents, we, we don't often have those kinds of decisions, but we still need to be very clear, um, for example, I, I, one of my personal boundaries is I, I, I don't really care what language people use around me, but I don't let anyone use profanity and direct it at me. Mm. And um, I have just always told my kids, no, that's, we, 
it's not going to get you kicked out of the house, but we are not carrying on this discussion with that language. I just end the conversation and we'll come back when you're um, in a better mood. Um, and, and I have just, I have never agreed to continue a conversation on those terms. Mm. And, you know, with those boundaries, kids eventually adjust to it, <laughs> figure out if they want to have a conversation with me, this is how you have the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, you talk about the parenting being kind of a one way street kind of a thing for many of us. And I just want to point out, and I know bio parents already know this, if you're a bio and a step parent, but for the childless step parents, um, Bio parents get this from from our own biological children too. It's oh, yeah. not just a step parent uh, to stepchild issue. Kids are they do go through this stage where they are selfish and you know they're going through their own thing. And so I thought you brought up some really really great points there. Now I know you've helped a lot of kids through trauma, and so. You know, I know a lot of children of divorce experience trauma in various ways, um, yeah. definitely kids in the foster care system. But how can we as parents and step parents recognize trauma in our kids? Uh, and what's the best thing we can do to help them through it? And I know you have experience with this. Right. Well, I would say as as step parents, we have to understand that that sometimes we um, overlook the depth of the trauma that divorce causes. And I, I, because it's so common and because we as adults want to reassure ourselves, we just say to ourselves, oh, kids are resilient. They'll be fine. And kids are resilient, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're going to be fine. And, um, and if we're step parents and we're coming into their lives, it's because of a decision that their biological parent has made. Um, to to um, bring us into the family and the kids, they didn't have much control over it. And, and I'm not saying the kids should have control over it. There are some decisions that adults make and um, kids should not have veto power over their parents' relationships. You know, there, there's adult decisions and there's kids' decisions. But at the same time, we have to understand that that we are, are there because of adult decisions that, that kids have to live with. So I think as step-parent, this is where my foster parenting helped me, is I came into my marriage with the presumption that my kids had suffered some trauma. And I think it's wise for us to, to come in with that expectation. We don't know what it is. It may not manifest itself right away, but kids do not come out of a, of a broken family. They do not lose their intact biological family without some level of trauma. And some of them handle it better than others. And some of it, some of them can cover it better than others, but that, that doesn't mean that it's not there. So if we come in with that presumption, then the, the, the main difference with um, that the, the, it will affect, at least with me, it, it affected my attitude is um, I had, you know, I had boundaries and I had expectations, but I also understood sometimes traumatized kids, they just can't do things. It's not that they have a bad attitude. Sometimes it is a bad attitude, but a lot of times it's just they're being triggered and they're reacting out of that, um, you know, amygdala part of their brain, that emotional part of their brain, and you just can't reach it with logic. And so you have to just 
not mix it up with them, not get into an argument, not insist on prerogatives or parameters, but just sit back, wait for the, the storm to be over. And then when, when the logical part of their brain kicks in, that's when you try to have the discussion and, and figure out what happened. And, and sometimes it, it's because they're just not accepting you. Sometimes it's because, uh, you know, I, I may have, have inadvertently triggered a bad memory with them. You know, I'm not responsible for it, but I'm just the person who's there at the time. And um, I, I have to work it through with them. But, but I have to wait for that fight or flight response to, to calm down. And that's, again, sometimes it's a bad attitude. But with traumatized kids, sometimes they just, they just can't help it. And they, they, they don't know what's happening. So it's our job as adults to help them work through what what just happened. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, another very common issue that we have is sibling rivalry. It's common in all families, but blended yeah, yeah. families really struggle with this. And I can imagine you dealt with this a lot as you had many children coming through. How did you manage that? And how did you get to help the kids to you know get along and acclimate to one another? Well, there there is no, um, first of all, there, there is no magic formula for any of this. Um, kids have agency. They, they are going to, to do what they're going to do. So it, it's not like uh, a situation with, with chemistry where you can just um, take one thing and add another thing and you always get the same reaction every time. Mm-hmm. This is, um, you know, kids can, can decide to accept you or they won't. So once you understand that, that they have agency and then you understand all you're doing is, is doing the best you can and sometimes not making the problem worse, then there are things that I have found that are helpful. And one of the things is if we think about um, family as, as a team, um, this is not a situation where, you know, where, where I'm a dictator and I'm in charge. I'm more like the coach trying to get us as a family from point A to point B. And, and different people do different things. And so once you start thinking in those terms, then some of the pressure points kind of resolve themselves. For example, um, if we got into chores with the kids and they would say, I, I don't want to take out the trash. And I, my response would be, okay, well, somebody has to take out the trash. Who, who, do, you, who do you suggest takes out the trash? And a lot of times when, when I would put it that way, um, you know, what they really wanted was for me to do it, but they weren't going, they didn't have the nerve to say, I want you to, to do it for me. Um, and, and then sometimes it was, well, so-and-so has fewer chores than I do. And, and, you know, we, we would work through, is there a reason for so-and-so to have fewer chores this week? And, um, and, and I also worked with my kids uh, with, okay, you don't have to take out the trash. Who are you going to get to take out the trash? Because it, it's your responsibility. And, um, you know, you're, you're part of this team and, and this, we, the team, need the trash to be taken out. So um, when, when you think about it in those terms, it's not so much your kids or my kids. It is we, we are a family team and this is, um, 
that works because kids can understand that they can be on different teams at the same time. It sort of avoids that whole two family or three families or ever how many situation that they run into. Um, it sort of takes a lot of the emotion out of it. Um, and they can understand being on the basketball team and the soccer team and all of these teams at the same time and, and learning how to balance responsibilities in those is sort of, um, built into that. Mm -hmm. So if, if we start thinking in those terms, it, it, it doesn't solve all the problems, but it shifts the um, context and the way that, that folks think about it. And it, it, it makes things much easier to resolve than, than, than any other way that I've ever looked at it. And so the, uh, the other thing I would say about sibling rivalries, you just have to, to make very clear um, with, with the kids um, that we have house rules and you have to make sure you don't change the rules when, when the kids come in. One of the problems that, that I have, and actually one of my stepsons has this problem now, is um, his wife has custody of her kids and he doesn't have custody of his biological kids. So you've, you've got the step-siblings coming in part of the time. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he has learned, and, and I, I learned this with, with foster kids coming in, is that it's if I say these are my rules, then that sort of causes a lot of conflict. If I say these are the house rules kids hear it differently. Mm. You know, from my perspective, it's the same thing, but there's not quite the level of dictatorship or control or threat. I'm, I'm, I'm not a psychologist. I'm sure that, that one of your guests who's a psychologist or a therapist could explain what's happening. But I can just say, when I say these are the rules for this house, and when you're at this house, these are the rules. Um, kids can adapt to that much better. You know, they, they understand the difference between um, home rules and school rules mm -hmm. and they can understand the difference between this house and that house and it, it sort of takes the emotion out of it uh, when you say well while you're at this house the house rules are x y and z yeah. and uh, so and to keep them as consistent as you can that doesn't mean equal you know kids are not equal they need different things at different mm -hmm. times and and we as adults have to to give them what they need at different times, but it needs to be as steady and as consistent as possible. Yeah, I really agree with that answer. And I really liked that you engaged and asked questions instead of, that's just a really good tip with kids is instead of just telling them what they have to do, even though as parents, we should be able to do that, uh, but right. kids just respond better when you engage with them and ask them questions about why they think this way or why they feel this way or why they think this should happen. And I think that it's really important and it, it shows them that you care and you're interested in, in the way they feel about things. Um, instead of as many parents just saying, you just do it this way because I said so, um, you're just not going to get the same response. So that was a really great answer. Uh, Debbie, a few minutes ago, you were talking about boundaries and I know that boundaries are extremely important, especially for blended families who really struggle with setting boundaries and step parents mm -hmm. don't really always know their role or when to step in or out of a particular situation. And even when the boundaries have been set, there's always some unusual situations that can pop up. So I'd like for you to speak to my step parents here and share with them some advice here on how to get themselves through the times when 
they feel like they don't know their place. Right. Well, the first thing I would say is is understand that, that at first your place is going to be very precarious and very limited. Um, the the rule that I've that I've heard and, and it it is borne out in my experience is connection before correction. And that is the kids have to trust you. They have to believe that you care about them and that, that you have their best interest at heart and that you have their back in, in situations. And you cannot make that connection, cannot prove that to them by just saying so. You just have to show it and that takes time. So I did, um, you know, when I was a foster parent, I was a single parent and, and I just had to deal with it because I was the only one there to enforce the rules. But as step parents, we do have the biological parent there that, that we can say, um, let the biological parent take the lead in, in dealing with their kids. And that's just that it's just a recognition of the way that, that kids' brains are wired. Eventually, we as, as step parents can take a, a bigger role. But um, at, at the very beginning, and particularly during the transition, kids are going to listen to the bio parents first. And that, that, that's just the way it is. And, and there's, no, there's no fighting that. We might as well um, be, be trying to make water flow uphill um, if, we, if we try to, to um, take on too much too soon. That leads me to one of the other things that, that I think we, we often forget, and that is that we need to spend our time concentrating on the relationship with our spouse or significant other, whoever it is that has invited us in our family, uh, into their family. That relationship has to be rock solid mm. because if there are any chinks, if there is any daylight between you, the kids will exploit it. Mm-hmm. And and that doesn't mean they're bad kids. That's, again, that's just that hardwiring, that, that evolutionary um I don't think they recognize it and I'm not sure the kids could control it if they did recognize yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, but so. they do it. They do it. Um, they, and I agree with you. I don't think that they mean to do it. It's just no. happens in blended families a lot. And I want to talk about the opposite side of this is in your case with fostering, because alternatively in some blended family homes, instead of having both bio parents and step parents, some are missing that bio parent on the one side. Yes. And so I'd like you to speak for these step parents who are trying to be, I don't know, a plan B, a replacement, if you will, for the missing parent, what are some things they can do to help that child to grow their relationship together, but also help them heal the relationship with the absent parent at the same time? Well, a lot of that depends on, again, the absent parent. Um, You know, if if you are in a child's life because um, their parent has died, that is incredibly traumatic for them. In some ways, it's much easier than if you're dealing with a child whose parent is out there somewhere mm-hmm. and is just not dependable. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that I think, is, is a deeper wound because there's a level of rejection that is really hard for the kid to understand. And, and there's no way you can give, say, words. I mean, we try to say, oh, no, you're wonderful. And words just, all that does is just, you know, stick a bandaid over a a sore that's still infected. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so I think we, we have to spend a lot of time with kids, um, helping them understand the difference between what they can control and what they can't. And, and it, it's complex. It's again, it's not something that, that is easy, but you just keep saying to kids, look, adults make adult decisions. It, it, it hurts you, it affects you, but you can't control it. And let's figure out something we can control. Um, one of the things I, I would do with, with my kids is, is have a plan B. Um, if, if their parents don't show up when they're supposed to, then we weren't just sitting around trying to deal with the trauma. We had something else planned, mm. whether that was a, a picnic or a visit with friends or, you know, it depends on what the budget could allow if we, if we went to a movie instead. Um, but I just always taught my kids, let's just have a plan B. Hopefully we won't get to it, but, but, um, but we need one. Mm, I love and, that. Um, so yeah, that, that, you know, y'all have a disaster plan. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then always make very sure that we don't trash the biological parent. We, we should never say anything negative about the biological parent because the kids don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it from us. They are not going to accept it and it's just going to hurt our relationship with them. Now, at the same time, we need to help the kids understand the difference between what what is their stuff and what is their parents' stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, it's always a, a very close line um, to, to, you know, I, I always followed my kids' lead. They did, sometimes they wanted to hear my, my opinion about what had happened, and sometimes they didn't. Mm-hmm you have to wait for a, a specific invitation. Um, and, and sometimes my kids would say things like, why does, why does she keep doing that? Why does mom keep making promises that she never follows through on? And even when they gave me an invitation, I would be very careful not to say negative things about mom. Like, you know, we, 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 my, opinion might be your mom cares more about herself than she cares about you, but I would never say that. Right. <laughs> but, but I, I, you know, you just, I, I would struggle with it, but I, I, you know, find words to say people sometimes make decisions that don't make sense to the rest of us. I, I, I don't know. You know, your mom is facing, your mom is facing problems that I've never faced. Mm. And, and so I, I don't, I don't know what's going on in her head, but I do know she does care about you because there was the, you know, there's always something, no matter how small that I could pull out as, as proof that, that mom cared. Um, and so I, I would give them some of those things to hang on to and then say, but you know, the rest of it, you, you can't wait for her to, to resolve these problems she's facing. Um, I hope she does. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do what we can to give her emotional support, but she's going to make her decisions and you cannot, um, tread water and wait in place waiting for her to, to resolve these. We need to help you move on and hope she catches up with you. Mm. So uh, sometimes you just, you just have to sort of have, um, 
frank without being harsh comments. And I'm much better at fr- being frank than I am being tactful. <laughs> so I, I always had to, to struggle for the tact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it, you bring up a good point. I mean, we really do need to be careful about the words that we use, although kids aren't always careful about the words that they use. So oh, no. I know that many of us have been told one or more times by a stepkid, you're not my mother or you're not my father. Yeah. And so I'd love to know, have you been given this line over the years, Debbie, and oh, how yeah. did you deal with it? And what advice could you offer my listeners about that? Well, my response, whenever someone said, you're not my mother, I would say, I know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not your mother and, and I'm sorry your mother is not here, but um, I, I am the adult in the house and I do care about you and I do love you. And these are the house rules. So some version of that. Good, <laughs> there are good. a gazillion ways of saying of that. Course. No, that's great. That's great. So yeah. I'd love to know, because uh, we're approaching sort of the end of our interview, so we have a few more questions, um, but I'd love to know what are some of the greatest lessons, just maybe two or three of the greatest lessons that you learned over the years from fostering children? Well, I would say that that if you make that one-way commitment, that that most of the kids eventually will respond. You know, what one thing I used to tell my sons was, or my stepsons, um, was, yeah, I, I know I'm not your mother. You have a mother, but but you are still my sons. And that you know, we find ways of signaling that one-way commitment. I I, I will will be here. Um, the other thing is to to make sure that that commitment does have healthy boundaries. I mean, out of the, out of our seven kids, my husband and I right now, there, there are two that aren't speaking to us. Mm. And, and, you know, so that's why I say there's no guarantees. Yeah. Um, you just, you go with the odds. Um, and the, the problems are problems we can't fix. And, and I have always told my kids, I, I will be here whenever you can come back. Whenever you, you find your way back, we will be here. Um, not giving you any money, but we will be here. <laughs> so, so that would be the other thing. Um, and then I, I think the lessons that I've learned is, um, you know, if, um, that all of these, um, there are a lot of, of good ways to do things. There's a, a lot of good advice out there. But you don't have to be perfect. Um, that that good enough is both good and enough. Um, and if you know if if you care about your kids and and demonstrate your your love and affection and sacrifice for them, um, it's not a hundred percent. But but you know the the odds are pretty high that when they grow up and their brains finishing developing and they get through all of these. Um, horrid years, mainly the teenage years. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. My, my thing about the teenagers, I just say, just hang in there. The aliens will return. Their right. I say that all the time. It is. It's like they've been abducted by aliens. They just, you yes. don't even recognize them for a few years, right. but then they do come back. Right. They, yeah. they do. Um, and, and again, some of it, they just can't help. You know, they, they yeah. turn into cave dwelling mammals. <laughs> they just leave their room just to forage. Um, and, and you just have to, uh, I, I, I compare it to riding a roller coaster. You can't control the direction. You just make sure the safety belts are down and you hang on until the end. 
That's right. So. That's right. I always say it's 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 the good Lord's way of showing us um, or getting getting us ready for the empty nest because um, if everything was so wonderful, we wouldn't want them to leave. But after having teenagers, you can't wait for them to leave. That's right. <laughs> I love my kids. I love my kids, but you know they're they're teenagers. Oh, yeah. All right, let's talk about I your know. book, Debbie, raising other people's children. <laughs> Who did you write the book for, and what helpful information can readers expect to find? Well, I, I wrote it for friends of mine who were um, who were struggling with things, and I realized they were making a lot of the mistakes that I made early on with my foster kids, and, and I was seeing the same thing, trying to take control too early, trying to um, assume that things were bad attitudes when, when they were actually trauma. Um, and then um, I also wrote it for my husband. Um, we found ourselves after our, uh, most of our kids were, they were still at home, but but they were um, at least nominally adults. Um, one of my um, foster children um, hit a really bad patch and, and we inherited a foster grandchild, um, my husband and I. And uh, he was coming at it from the perspective of, I've raised five kids, I know what to do. And I was saying, but mm-hmm. you've never raised a traumatized child. And he's, you know, I, I thought he was being too harsh. He thought I was being too lenient. The truth was somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wrote this book for, for people who've been in that situation, you know, in, in some ways being a single foster parent was easier because I only had one relationship to worry about mm-hmm. and um, I didn't have to get anybody's agreement or sign off on the things that I wanted to do. And so um, I just, I, I believe very strongly that our kids need to see us keep a relationship together because uh, by definition, they haven't seen that if their intact biological family broke up. And so they, they really need that. And so that was part of what I wrote the book for was for couples and, and, um, and individuals just trying to um, teach them the, the mistakes that I had made and the lessons that my kids had, had taught me over the years. That's wonderful. And for the listeners, that's going to be for blended families. It's going to be for if you're a foster parent, adoptive family, it doesn't matter. There's tips in there that can help all of you. Debbie, what is the best way for people to find you? Um, Raisingotherpeoplechildren.com. Okay, is great. probably the simplest. Yeah, there also debbieosborn.com, but you have to know how to spell my name. So raisingotherpeopleschildren.com will will get you to all of my other social media. Okay, perfect. And as always, I'll put all of the links in the show notes. Listeners, I really hope that you found this conversation with Debbie as valuable as I did. It really doesn't matter where we are in our blended families. We can always use tips and advice from people who manage to thrive in situations that are difficult. Debbie, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Thank you. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.